Leadership Next is powered by the folks at Deloitte, who, like me, are super focused on how CEOs can lead in the context of disruption and devolving societal expectations. Welcome to Leadership Next, the podcast about the changing rules of business leadership. I'm Alan Murray, and I'm here with my favorite and only co-host, Ellen McGirt. I love these moments, Alan. Thank you so much for that. And hello, everyone. Alan, I'm so excited about this conversation we're about to have. I know you're my co-host. You're also my boss. And I'm here to tell you, I am very stressed these days. We're living in very stressful times. We have uh, Ariana Huffington, the founder and CEO of Thrive, and Tony Bates, the chairman and CEO of Genesis, here to talk to us about empathy-driven innovation, particularly about workforce wellness. But before I throw the mic to them, if this wasn't the sign of the times that we're living in, Beyonce has finally released some new music, and it turns out to be about the great resignation and burnout at work. Break My Soul is now the anthem for the moment that we're living in. And Ellen, before we dive in, I would say, having known Ariana Huffington for almost three decades now, I think, I'll bet she inspired Beyonce to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, of course, Ellen. It was not accidental. (laughs) I believe it. I believe it. It's great to be with you, Alan and Ellen. And Tony, it's wonderful to see you again. I haven't talked to you since you were at Cisco, and you've turned out really well since then. You've been very busy. (laughs) Well, thank you for that. I I appreciate it. Lots of work to be done, but it's great to be here, Ellen and Alan. Always a pleasure. Let's just jump right in with your great collaboration. You uh, co-wrote an essay that we published on Fortune that that is about empathy-driven innovation, particularly around well-being in the workforce, that it's just not a perk and it needs to be part of how we all operate. Ariana, can I get you to start us off here? What, What is behind all that? Well, actually, Tony wrote a book, which I highly recommend to everyone, called Empathy in Action which for me uh, looks ahead at the future we need to create, where the employee experience is very clearly connected to the customer experience and business metrics. You know, for many decades, the two things were seen as very separate, like the role of the business was to make profits and uh, take care of the shareholders, and then you checked the box and gave some warm and fuzzy benefits to the employees. And now we see that that model doesn't work. Frankly, it wasn't working before the pandemic, but the pandemic made very clear uh, how inadequate that model is and how when you have empathy-driven innovation uh, that uh, improves the employee experience, everything else, all the business metrics that matter, attrition, retention, uh, productivity, healthcare costs are better. Yeah, and, and maybe just to add to that, Ellen, a little bit, and uh, thank you for the, the plug on the book, but the book really was, um, when I joined Genesis, and for those who aren't as familiar with Genesis, we provide customer experience software, particularly in the contact center, customer service agent area. And just as Ariana was mentioning, everything sort of in my industry was driven by these very business-centric metrics, you know, and yet when you think about the software we were delivering, it was really connecting humans to humans, right? At the end of the day, someone calling in with either a challenging customer service issue or they were struggling to update their credit card information or whatever it would be. 
And yet everything in the industry was these business metrics that were really focused on how quickly I could get you in and out of a queue, how many, literally how many calls per day I could manage. And it was really missing this human connection. Mm -hmm. And that was really an aha moment for me. And then the second piece, as, as Ariane just mentioned, is that empathetic cultures really drive innovation. We all know that if someone feels that they're listened to and understood at work, they tend to be more innovative and more productive. Um, and when they face uh, the customer, if they have this great feeling that you know, their values are recognized in the company, they drive better and better experiences um, to customers and that drives loyalty. And that actually ends up being a much more, I think, long-term uh, way to grow the business. I, I do want to dive into that, but before we do, I want to ask you both a question that I'm asked all the time, which is, why is this happening now? I mean, I, I have been covering business for four decades, but it's really only in the last four or five years that I have heard some of the best CEOs talk about empathy. What has changed to cause this to come to the fore at this moment? Look, I think uh, if you sort of step back to your point, Alan, I would echo, you know, there was sort of a dearth of even the word empathy in, in leadership conferences. If you go to your CEO conference and so on, you go back a few years, it was very uh, different, right? People were much more command and control. Most organizations tended to be very HQ centric leadership team all around, you know, around the same kind of um, uh, executive boardroom or conference room. And so it was very much this approach where you sort of set the, the mission, the vision, and then you just set everyone in the company executes. Now, I think the pandemic really uh, fueled this, but the whole modernization of the workplace, a focus on more distributed approaches in companies had made that command and control aspect much more difficult to implement in reality. Mm. Um, secondarily, as we talk about new folks entering the workforce, they're much more digital, they're much more fluid, they're much more wanting to have more flexible lives. The pandemic took that to a whole new level because Essentially, we all had to suddenly work at home. And as leaders, we had to communicate in a different way. And so I think it was a recognition that this wasn't going to go back. We weren't going to go back to the same kind of industrial um, theory of leadership. And that's why you hear so many folks rethinking mm. this. Then on top of that, we've, you know, you started the, at the top of this, Ellen, the stress that people are feeling in their lives in terms of the changing in the way that you work, the way you, you live, the way you learn, the way you play really, I think, had to change leaders' mindsets. And certainly for me, and it became much more about listening and understanding and not judging, if I can say it that way, what your employees were going through, really putting yourselves in the shoes uh, of other folks. And that's really at the root of empathy. And that's why I think you see that, uh, Alan, coming much more through in, in not only narrative, but actually in implementations. I love that way of putting it, Ellen, if I can just interject. Ellen and I have a colleague, Jeff Colvin, who wrote a book a few years ago called Humans Are Underrated. And one of the things he said in there that struck me was, you know, in the 20th century, business practice was really about trying to make people into better machines, right? We were all cogs in the bigger, right. in, in, in a bigger machine-like enterprise. That's what scientific management was all about. And it's becoming increasingly clear with every passing year that in the 21st century, the key to value is going to be making people better people, that those human skills and values and connections are going to be the core to business value. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. In fact, 
If you look at the way over the last few decades we've been working, ignoring the data and the science around peak performance, assuming that the way to be our best was to power through exhaustion beyond 24-7, that was exactly mimicking machines. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the goal with machines, and after machines, the goal with software is to minimize downtime. But all the latest science makes it very clear that for the human operating system, downtime is a feature, not a bug. (laughs) We need downtime to be able to uh, perform at our best, to be able to be the best leaders we can be, uh, because the qualities that you need for leadership, especially in very turbulent times like ours, like creativity, like empathy, like innovation, are the first to be depleted. We cannot just do maintenance. Hmm. And I don't think we can underestimate the impact of the pandemic. It's always hard to be accurate about the impact of a historic period that you are still going through. But the pandemic has been such a catalyst for these changes that we're overdue but fundamental transformational changes are so hard, they require a kind of seismic event to actually happen. And now we are still in the middle of them unfolding, but there is no going back. In fact, I'm very optimistic that this is going to be a once in a generation opportunity to redefine the way we work and live in ways that are more human uh, more empathetic and more sustainable. Yeah, maybe just to add um, a little bit to that. One of the things that really came uh, and hit me was that if you sort of think about the way that most businesses express themselves and the way that most businesses um, have used technology, it's all been in service of efficiency and effectiveness, productivity, as Ariana talked about. Mm-hmm. And yet, Um, we sort of inherently know that you take care of your customers and your employees really well. You're generally going to have less attrition. You're going to have more loyalty. You're going to have greater uh, creativity. You're going to have more innovation and you're going to have opportunities to thrive in your business. But, and we, we talk a little bit about this in the book, and yet there's no standard sort of measure of measuring those things. Nobody reports those in their financial statements. Nobody reports the overall well-being of your company and, and all the great things that many great companies, by the way, are doing. And so I think to Ariana's point, we're at a seminal moment where we have an opportunity as not only leaders, but also um, in the, the way we think about building products to transform a whole industry. And I actually think long term, we will be talking about these things much more potentially than the financial metrics and the classic KPIs that have been around 100 years. I'm not saying they're not important. But I think they're sort of secondary at some level to the force multiplier that empathy can really bring to a business. So I'm very optimistic as well. I certainly hope the two of you are right about this. It is, we are certainly living through such turbulent times. I want to ask a question about trust. But before I do, I was wondering if you could give us some examples of where you see technology really working to promote well-being in the workforce within our, our workflow in our daily lives. Maybe that would be a good place to move the conversation. 
Well, maybe we can talk about what Genesis and Thrive are doing together as an example of a technological intervention in the workflow itself that actually has a real impact on the well-being of contact center agents, and as a result, a real impact on their productivity and on customer success. Um, I'm really excited about this partnership for many reasons. One of them is that it's addressing uh, a population that has suffered incredible amounts of stress. According to one survey, 90% of contact center agents have experienced stress during this time. Just think of it, they are at the receiving end of people's problems and complaints all the time. So our intervention is based on the neuroscience that it takes 60 to 90 seconds to course correct from stress. Hmm. So while stress is unavoidable, cumulative stress is avoidable. So basically these resets, as we call them, are fed into the queue on the dashboard as contact center agents are handling calls. And then they get this call which asks them to focus on their breathing. And we know that focusing on deep breathing moves you from the sympathetic to the parasympathetic nervous system, or to focus on what they are grateful for. There are hundreds of them. And then as we become more and more intelligent, we can personalize them. And one of my favorite things that's on the roadmap is to have contact center agents when they are onboarded, create their own personalized reset with things that give them joy. That's fascinating. Tony, Is it will it be the kind of thing where you have AI that recognizes whether a contract center worker is in a stressful conversation or feeling stress or sounding stressful? Is that uh, that triggers one of these reset moments? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just um, even what we have today, even with very, let's just call it fairly rudimentary AI, you know, uh, as uh, Ariana mentioned, contacts and agents, and by the way, they are a very large part of the global workforce, if you think about yeah. it. They are really at the front lines of every single, you know, pretty much every company of any size, by the way, on the planet. Um, and they're in a very stressful um, situation. Uh, we can already do simple things. Like if you're on a call for a long time, the chances are that that's going to have some stressful moments in it. So we can already do things like that. We can intervene uh, with one of these Thrive resets. But to your, your question, absolutely, there's all sorts of areas we can go. Um, we can you know, measure sentiment. We can look at the AI of the transcription of the voice transaction or the digital transaction. And as um, Ariana talked about, make that highly personalized. You know, The science will keep evolving. It may be one time you want a breathing exercise. Another time you just want to look at um, some photos or a piece of video that really touches you personally. Or another time it might be, you know, the, the meditation mantra that you like to use that helps you reset. So these are all sorts of just examples of what we can do. It, it's such a brilliant idea because it's, I mean, this is something I've been struggling with personally, and I've seen a lot of people in executive jobs. And of course, Ariana, this is your own journey, which I'd like to talk about before we uh, we finish up this conversation. But this notion that we all became masters of managing our time, but not mastering our energy and emotions mm -hmm. and that our effectiveness at our job probably depends more on our mastery of our energy and emotions than our mastery of our time. So to see this employed at the contact center level is really encouraging. But I guess the question I have for both of you is, 
do your customers get it? I mean, there's the, the contact center world is a world where the productivity metrics are very, very tight. Uh, you know, how many calls can I respond to in a given hour? Do your clients understand the importance of what you're doing? And are they willing to sacrifice traditional productivity metrics in order to make it work? But Alan, here is the point. They're not sacrificing productivity metrics. They are improving productivity metrics. So that's really the big transition we are going through. Understanding that if you are on without any breaks, your productivity suffers, your performance suffers. That is data driven. And so I was very amazed. I, I took part in a roundtable that Genesis had arranged with many of their customers, and they were amazing. You know, they were saying things like, we need to help the contact center agents find their happy place. When they find their happy place, they're going to be better at having happy customers. And we know that from ourselves. That's just so natural and human. When I first uh, talked to Tony about the idea, the thing he loved is how simple it is mm. and how easy it is to implement and how science-driven it is. Mm. We've worked with B.J. Fogg from Stanford, who is very focused, as you know, on micro steps and tiny habits and the impact of the small breaks. And, and Alan, to your point, they can also be applied to people who are privileged like we are to be able to work from home or have executive jobs. They too need these interventions and we bring them into Teams or Slack or any method of communication that you have. Yeah, and, and maybe just to echo Alan, just to give you the real time, I think the light bulb went off for a lot of our customers, which is, you're right, like especially the contact center is sort of classic time and motion study, bunch of analytics, who's good at it, who's not, you know, but every one of them would say they are struggling right at the root of what they do with actually onboarding, hiring and keeping their employees. And so it's kind of a, a um, you know, this, this paradox, they've measured people in a certain way, but actually what they've done is burnt them out by using these measurements, these traditional metrics. Yeah. And then they spend most of their time recruiting. Right. And, you know, again, I think it's sort of inherently obvious once you kind of step back and now we have science that shows it that of course the well-being of your employees matters probably the most of anything because if they're happy, they're more you know calm, they can deal with things in a better way. And I would tell you that if you sort of think about the evolution of product design, we talk a lot um, today in the industry about design thinking and at the root of design thinking is uh, people, right? It's actually uh, about how would a, that person react to a certain amount of clicks or a certain amount of way they see things. I think what we really need to do and we're just the beginning of that kind of movement is e-schools, empathy thinking. That's the next step we need to take. And we need mm. to take that in productivity tools in, that we use in companies. Um, we need to uh, extend the kind of work that Ariana's doing more deeply into other products. And I think we're going to see this happen in a broad basis. And I hope for the contact center industry, just like we've seen the early acceptance of the work we're doing, really help people thrive in their careers. Mm. 
I'm here with Joe Yukazoglu, who is CEO of Deloitte US and had the good sense to sponsor this podcast. Joe, thanks for being with us and thanks for your support of our second season. Thanks, Alan. Pleasure to be here. Joe, we talked about technology adoption accelerating in 2020, but at the same time, it also seemed last year like there was an increased focus on people, on human capital. Can we hope for a future where we have both more technology and more humanity all at the same time? Well, Alan, I'm particularly energized leading a a large professional services firm where people are at the core. This is all about pairing great people with innovative technologies. It's not about replacing one with the other. It's allowing people to free up more of their time to do what humans do best. The technology is an enabler for great people to use their creativity, their complex judgment and decision-making skills. But at the same time, I think we have to recognize that getting this right definitely requires a new kind of corporate leadership. I would say out with the autocratic, all-knowing CEO sitting in the corner office and in with those who bring vulnerability, empathy, humility, those are such critical attributes to unlocking the creative talents of the workforce in such a dynamic economy. Yeah, it is very different when you're trying to get a group of creative people to solve a problem than when you're simply giving orders and telling them what to do. It requires a brand of leadership that places a premium on instilling values, instilling principles, and empowering people to be able to make those judgments on the front line instead of waiting for some checklist or waiting for some prescriptive order from corporate that spells out exactly how each of those decisions need to be made. Joe, thank you. quick, I want to bring in the voice of the more skeptical call center worker or someone who has a wage job for whom this intervention would be welcome. But also they might be concerned that this is not going to reflect a realistic or heartfelt new mindset shift from management. We're seeing union movements across the country, across industries, and workers are really speaking up about their lives and their well-being, but also their future. So I'm curious if you could coach C-suites across the country, across the industry, what kind of work do they need to do to be able to fully embrace this and communicate the long-term vision of these kinds of technological innovations that are only going to expand to their workforce going forward? I feel like that's the philosopher king and queen piece of this that I'd love to hear from both of you. Well, Alan, first of all, my favorite thing in the world is converting skeptics. So thank you, thank you for <laughs> I know giving. That. <laughs> so thank you for giving them voice. So what is interesting, as we saw in the Deloitte study, that executives are themselves much more aware of their own stress and burnout. I mean, the numbers were staggering. Seventy-six mm. percent of executives. Uh, said that their own physical and mental health have been affected, 76%. And 69% of them are considering leaving their jobs. So what is happening is really across the board. The great resignation is not just among employees, it's also among leaders. And I think that has to do with a more kind of existential questioning about our lives and putting work in its proper place, 
Work is incredibly important. All of us here are very lucky to have jobs we love and hard work is part of that. But the assumption that life was all about climbing the career ladder at the expense of relationships, health, everything else, that assumption is eroding very fast. Mm. So when leaders have that experience themselves, they are much more likely to understand why empathy and humanizing the workforce is not just important in terms of human terms, but in terms of business terms. Yeah, I mean, maybe what I'd say to Ariana's point, I think the first thing as a, as a, a C-level executive you have to do is you have to recognize, just like we talked about, that this is actually a business imperative. It's a, a bit of a myth when people say, well, you do all these nice things for your employees that somehow productivity is going to go down. So first, I think everyone needs to reframe their thinking. Secondarily, I think this needs to be more than just words on a page. This needs to be from the top in terms of the culture you want to build for the company and the things that you value. And, you know, I'll just give one small example at Genesis in the pandemic. We saw that people were highly stressed. There's no surprise. Um, we put a big focus on mental health and mental well-being seminars to create scaffolding for their own, uh, you know, just to keep them centered. And you know what was the most interesting out of the outcome? The number one attended seminar was how do I as a parent deal with children's mental health? Mm. Right now, in the old days in a business, that would be off limits. That would be stigmatized. That would yeah. be, you know, that's something you, you talk about at home. Yeah. And yet the embracement of that was like, finally, you recognize that I'm human. And just as Ariana said, I think you do have to uh, be open and authentic of the problems that you're going through, that I'm going through, that Ariana's going through, that Alan's going through, Alan's going through, because we're all dealing with shifts and changes in, in what we, perhaps we thought was a certain way of, of working and a certain way of, of doing things. And then the last thing just to say is, I think um, embracing the technology that enables this is super important. Yeah. Um, because it won't be enough just to say, okay, Here's kind of our new value system. The technology, like uh, the work that we're doing together, uh, the ability to use cloud-based technology to get more data to help with some of these ideas that you put out there, Alan, is absolutely going to be crucial. Uh, and you embrace yeah. those things, I think great things can happen. You know, uh, this is probably a good moment uh, before we let you go to do a little empathizing of our own here, because both of you have such fascinating personal stories that led you to this point. Uh, and Ariana, maybe yeah. we could start with you. I mean, the origin story of Thrive is a very personal story. I wonder if you could tell us how you got to this. The origin story is a collapse uh, when I actually having bought into the collective delusion that in order to be super founder and super mom, you know, I was two years into building the Huffington Post, the divorced mother of two daughters. I thought that I didn't have the luxury to sleep or to take care of myself. So I collapsed, I hit my head on my desk, I broke my cheekbone. And that was in 2007 and I was diagnosed with burnout which at the time was not much discussed as an occupational hazard. I started covering these issues exhaustively on the Huffington Post. And by 2016, I wanted not just to raise awareness through a media company, but to help people change behavior. And for that, I needed a behavior change technology company. So that's how Thrive was born in 2016. Yeah. And how about you, Tony? I mean, you've been a technology executive, different companies. How did you end up here? You know, I think um, 
what was sort of unique, maybe in my background, I've been very fortunate to work in all kinds of aspects of technology, right? Big B2B businesses, as you mentioned, that I, you know, I ran Skype, a big large-scale B2C company. I also worked on consumer hardware. And it gave me this very unique kind of view of, of these. And I've also been around a while seeing all these different kind of monumental shifts in, in what people want. And so when I arrived at Genesis, even though I knew the space well, I came in with this sort of view that there had to be something more. You know, a little bit of my industry had always been like, how do we not make things worse? You know, it's very negative. It was sort of like, <laughs> how do we get someone in and out quickly and then we can check the box? And so it gave me this, um, this view that I, I felt there has to be a better way to deliver these incredible customer experiences. And on top of that, I just want to say that the ultimate um, sort of guiding light in my life is my mother and my wife. And at their root, they're incredibly empathetic people. My mother, I talk about it in the book, from a very young age would always use this phrase, never judge a person until you walk a mile in their shoes. And what I've noticed is that I was growing through my own leadership evolution, uh, especially when I was at Cisco, a very large company. There's a lot of judging that happens. People say stuff like, well, I don't really know what Ellen does, but, you know, I don't think she's doing a very good job. And it's not like, wait right. a second. And, <laughs> exactly. and I got to this place where not only did I feel empathy could really help in the products and services we delivered, but could really be a game changer for us as a company. And I must say, I did not have the pleasure to meet Tony's mother, but I have met his wife, Corey, and I can absolutely testify to what she brings to the table, you know, that sense of empathy and love. And I think, I remember actually, when we had dinner at your home, Tony, with Corey, uh, I just uh, said to Tony, we must do something to protect the advances that have been made in this area in terms of mental health and well-being at a time when, as we know, companies everywhere have very tough decisions to make, layoffs, hiring freezes. So we came up with this idea of a mental health pledge and very quickly got over 80 companies, including Genesis and Walmart and Accenture and Salesforce to sign up committing that even though we are going to be going through very challenging economic times, the prioritization of mental health uh, is going to remain. I think that was a, a really pivotal moment yeah. because it's very easy during a crisis to lose the gains that have been made over the last two yeah. years. Yeah, kudos to both of you for that. It really is an important moment for all of us as individuals, but it's an important moment for business in this new, more human-centered future. Really appreciate you both taking the time to talk about it with us. Thank you. Thank you so much. Leadership Next is edited by Nicole Vergala, written by me, Alan Murray, along with my amazing colleagues, Ellen McGirt and Megan Arnold. Our theme is by Jason Snell, executive producer, Megan Arnold. Leadership Next is a production of Fortune Media. Leadership Next episodes are produced by Fortune's editorial team. The views and opinions expressed by podcast speakers and guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Deloitte or its personnel, nor does Deloitte advocate or endorse any individuals or entities featured on the episodes. 